this working. There we go. I am really excited to tell you that I get a break next week. <laughs> Wait a minute. Rob? We all get a day off, yes. Next week, um, Heidi offered to, uh, to, to speak. And uh, I'm really excited because like, when I first started the discernment thing, she's like, oh, I got so much to say about that. And, and then she's like, well, let me hear what you have to say, and then I'll tell you whether I got something to say. And so I asked last week, I'm like, do you still have something to say? And she's like, I think I do. I'm like, sweet. So this next week, Heidi will be uh, bringing it. That's it. So our first, yeah, our first Sunday back uh, from sabbatical, it was, I was up at like 7 and getting ready to come back. And Isaac gets up, and he loves to come into church early and uh, help out. It's really awesome. I love that he loves to do that. But he goes, Dad, are you ready to bring it this morning? I'm like, I'm raising a Pentecostal. How did that happen? It's so awesome. Are you ready to bring it? It's like, bring the fire. So, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty awesome. So my wife will be bringing it next week, and I know you are all excited about that. You know, sometimes we have guest speakers, and I don't tell you because I know you don't show up. But with Heidi, it's totally different because she's so good. You all just show and invite friends and bring people with you. And so let's pack the house out next week for Heidi's uh, closing sermon on discernment. Are you nervous now? Yeah, thanks. Well, speaking of Heidi, a number of years ago, that was funny because I said, oh, this is the one story I wanted to get in, into this sermon series, um, and I, I hadn't got it in there yet, and I'm getting it in there today. So a number of years ago, Heidi and I were celebrating our anniversary. She's like, mm-hmm, we were, a number of years ago. Several times a number of years ago, we have, we've done this. And uh, so we went to this, this restaurant, um, I'm distracting myself, so I'm just going to leave that alone. Uh, we went to this restaurant called Anthony's in uh, the Everett area. How many of you know Anthony's? Anthony's Seafood House, right? Yep, delicious seafood. And this is to tell you how long ago this was. They had this deal they were advertising for 17 bucks. You got a three-course meal. And it was, you know, an appetizer, a main course, and a dessert for 17 bucks a person. That's a, That's cheap anniversary night nowadays. I mean... It's like 50 bucks a person now if you're going to go out. But so 17 bucks, and it was this great deal. So we went down there, this three-course meal, and uh, we sat down at this table overlooking the marina, and the lights were going, and everything was just romantic and wonderful, and as, you know, anniversary night should be. And we sat down at the table, and they bring us our menus. And on the menus is first course, appetizers. You get a choice. I love choices. You get a shrimp cocktail. You know those little shrimps, the little pink shrimps with the cocktail sauce and the celery? How, who, why that goes together, I don't know, but it's delicious. And their other option was two oysters on the half shell. So I, being me, thought, I'm going to order the delicious shrimp cocktail because who in their right mind would eat those other things, right? And Heidi looks at me and she goes, oh, come on, be adventurous. Come on, live a little. How will you ever know? I mean, they must be good. Look at all the people in this restaurant eating them. And there's like this group of drunk people at the bar that's like slamming them down and hitting the tequila. And I'm like, yeah, look at those guys. She's like, I hear they're really good, so I'm going to try it. I'm like, okay, you do that. This is going to be loads of fun, right? Yeah, there they are. Aren't they just like, look at them. They're like these nasty mucus-covered ocean stomachs. So... Here comes the entrees, and uh, you know, and it comes, my, my shrimp cocktail comes in the lovely like Sunday glass, whatever. You know, I'm expecting ice cream or shrimp in it, and I'm like, delicious with my little tiny fork. And and she's got these things sitting on her plate, just staring at her. And I'm like, 
have fun with that. And she's like, I mean, she has to work up the courage to do this. And, you know, and I got to say, I love my wife dearly because she is one of the bravest people I know. She reaches down, grabs one of those suckers and whoop, slips it back. And she looks at me, she goes, oh my gosh, you have got to try this. This is delicious. This is so good. I, like, no wonder everybody loves these things. And she's just going on and on. You got to try it. And she pushes the plate across to me. You got to try this. Now, you know, I'm a man and I can't let my wife show me up on this thing. And she's just going on and on about how delicious it is. And she hands it to me and I pick up the oyster and I slurp it down. It just like slips right down the hatch. And it was in that moment that the slimy little bugger hit my tongue that I realized that Heidi looked like she was about to throw up. And by then it was too late. Gravity had already taken over. That thing's on its way down the hatch. There's no stopping this thing. You don't want to stop it because it's in your mouth. You've got to get it out one way or the other, right? They swallow it down, and there it was. My wife was sitting across me. She had totally hoodwinked me. <laughs> Happy anniversary. Now we're both going to throw up, right? Because <laughs> they're terrible. They're awful. They're slimy. They're just disgusting. But what was really sad about this whole thing was, you know, from the very beginning, I thought, you know, in my wisdom, I'm not getting those. And I'm getting this, this lovely shrimp cocktail, which is delicious and will not make me vomit. And, and she's going to get those things, and that's crazy. And I'm, like, working with my own wisdom and stuff. But the minute my wife, like, challenges me and, like, I did it, you got to try it, you know, and she nudges me, and boom, I'm hoodwinked, and all my wisdom is out the door, and I have now made the dumbest decision of my life. Maybe not that bad, but it was pretty gross. I swallowed it, and it was gone. And I wish that maybe somebody had given me a sermon the week before about some tests I could do to discern whether or not that decision was going to be a good decision. And that's what we talked about last week, right? This, this test to discern what is good and what is right, which way we should go, whether something is from the Spirit of God or not. Our main verse was from 1 John, uh, 1 John 4, verse 1, and where John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe your wife if she's offering you nasty, mucus-covered ocean stomachs. But test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. So we talked about some of those tests, those nudges that come our way. We, we talked about like how to know whether that nudge, that, that little voice that's speaking to you is really a, the voice of the Holy Spirit, whether it's the voice of God speaking into your mind when you're faced with a decision or a choice, which really all of life is just a series of choices, right? It's all a series of choices. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes it feels like we're just marching through life without recognizing that we make choices to get us to this place. And every moment is a choice. We can go one way or the other. So when we have these nudges, how do we know without a shadow of doubt that God is speaking to us? So I gave you four simple tests, and I just wanted to go over them again in case you weren't here. Um, these are so good. I keep hearing back from people like Derek this morning. You should have put those in bullet points. I'm like, dude, I gave you sermon notes that were in bullet points right there. So um, I gave them to you again this week, and I'm just going to quickly go through them, and then we're going to add three more today. So the first one is this, does it agree with the Bible? So God's word is trustworthy. It's unchanging. It's stable. It, it can guide us through our many choices that life brings us. And I'm not real sure actually what the Bible would have to say about oysters and eating oysters, but I bet if I looked in the book of Proverbs, I could probably find some sort of wisdom that would have guided me in that moment. Something about a tempting woman and, you know, the batting of the eyelashes. I don't know, maybe that's Song of Solomon. But anyway, I, I'm not sure if it would have helped me, but if I could ask about my other decisions and choices in life, career choices, relationship choices, 
um, just daily actions. Does, does this actually line up with the word of God? Does it, does it match what God has already said? Because if it does, then that's probably God speaking to me. But if it's something that's completely counter to what God already said, that is not God. The second one was this. Does it make me more like Jesus? Does it actually build the character of Christ in you to choose to walk in that direction? Does it build the character of Christ in you to be in that relationship? Does it build the character of Christ in you to have this career? Or is it something that Jesus would never do? Now, I asked myself this question about oysters. Would Jesus have eaten oysters? And guess what I found out? Oysters were not kosher. So Jesus would not have eaten them. But on the other hand, bacon is not kosher either. So, I don't know, we can we could go either way with that one, right? The third one was this. Do other believers think it's a wise decision or choice? Just this week, I actually, Heidi and I have been going through a discernment process on a big decision we had to make, a big financial decision for our family. And we're like talking it through. We've talked every angle. We've looked at every bit of wisdom we possibly could. And I'm like, all right, it's time to call a neighbor, you know, like from that game show before. And so we called my father-in-law and I said, okay, father-in-law, wise sage man of money and all these decisions. Here is all the parameters. Here's everything that's going on. What do you think about this decision? And in the end, he goes, I think that it's a wise decision. We need other people to help us see reality for what it is sometimes. And if you ever have this feeling in your heart that you don't want to invite somebody else into a decision, that's probably not a godly decision. I don't want somebody else to know what I'm thinking of doing. I don't want them in on this. If you've got that sense in your heart, it's probably not a godly decision. It's probably not God speaking to you. The oyster story does bring a caution here, though. When you are looking to have people in your life that will speak into your decisions, make sure that that person has your best interest at heart. Hey. <laughs> she was thinking about our relationship, not my stomach. You want to make sure that the people you're asking, you know, really have God's will in mind and have God's ways in mind, that their character is like Christ. Because just think about it. You could be like, I've got this person that I'm thinking about dating. Okay, young people. You got this, this person, this woman or this man I'm thinking about dating, and they don't love God at all. They don't want to go to church. They're not interested, but they're really good looking. Okay, and they drive a nice car. And I can come, and now you can go, okay, I'm going to ask for wisdom from somebody. So who do you go to to ask? Say you go to Heidi, because the young people, that's what you'll do. You go, Heidi, what do you think about this person? And Heidi's going to shoot straight with you, I promise. Even though she'll hoodwink you with oysters, she will shoot straight with you on relationship issues. She'll be like, I don't know if this is going to be the best. And she'll kind of you know, talk through why. If you were to go, though, to your non-Christian friend at the bar, sitting at the countertop, and he's going to be like, dude, she's hot. Of course you should go for it. And then you wind up you know, walking off in this path that winds up leading to destruction. Know who you're asking before you ask them. And you want to have godly people to help you with these decisions, right? The fourth one that I asked, or I gave this last week, was this. Does it bring conviction or condemnation? And this one really would not have worked with oysters at all, because raw oysters bring nausea and potential vomiting, not conviction or condemnation. Every time, nausea, potential vomiting. Guys got that? If you get nothing else from today, don't eat oysters. There is a difference, though, between conviction and condemnation. And we talked about it that you know, it's kind of like a, a going to, the, to trial. You break the law, you get caught, you are, you are convicted of a crime, right? You did it, and now here is the punishment, the sentencing, which would be condemnation. You were condemned to the gallows, condemned to be hanged, condemned to five years in prison, condemned to community service. That's the difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is you did it, condemnation is the sentence. And we said that in Jesus... 
while God may convict us, say, hey, that, the rules of my yard, this doesn't work this way. We don't, we don't act like this in my yard. We don't treat people like this in my yard. We don't treat ourselves like this in my yard. He doesn't condemn us because the condemnation has already been taken in Jesus. Another way of saying this is that life is really like a long conversation with God. We go through life, and he just wants to have a conversation about everything in our lives. He wants to have a conversation about our relationships. He wants to have a conversation about our sexuality. He wants to have a conversation about justice and about the world around us. He wants to have a conversation about our life direction and our career path and all of these things because he created you. He's got a really good sense of which way each of these choices would lead us and which way will lead us to life? Which way will lead us to, to a, a, a life that actually brings life for other people, that brings love, that builds people up instead of tears them down, and builds you up and makes you most happy in life? You know, God is actually concerned that he wants us to have a happy and joyful life. And happiness and joy get conflated with stuff, and it gets conflated with other things, and we can mix that up in our world. But God really did design from the outset a world in which we enjoyed life. And God wants to lead us into that. So he's having this conversation, and he's sitting there, and he's speaking into your ear. And when you've gone off the path, when you've gone off the rails, he's going, come on. This isn't how this works. Come back. Come back. Come back. This is the wrong way. That's conviction. But the devil will bring condemnation. He will speak into your ear and say, hey, you've gone off the rails. That's it. You're done. You're wrong, and you're done, and you might as well just give up and keep on going. So that was last week, all right? The four, first four things. Now this week we're going to add three more. And this first one I wanted to share with you um, is slightly different than those. So you can apply every decision you have to make in life to those first four things. But this one really has more to do with those moments when God speaks to you and he says, I need you to go to so-and-so and say X, Y, or Z, which happens from time to time. The Lord will speak to us on the behalf of other people. But I have watched over and over again, people receive a word from the Lord, quote unquote, and it really wasn't a word from the Lord. It was, you know, Jesus is standing there going, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. And they're going, oh, yes, he did. And they go to that person and say, you know, I got a word from the Lord from you. And that's like almost as bad as saying, I need to have a conversation with you, Ben. Could you, you know, and I'm not going to tell you what it's about. It's like loaded, right? Completely loaded. I have a word from the Lord from you. It's like, oh, shoot. Actually, we think of other words, worse words. But we get all nervous inside. And sometimes they come to us and they're going to be like bringing some sort of voice of condemnation to us. Now, last week's, the last one really applies there. If somebody brings a word from the Lord to you and you feel condemnation, not conviction, but condemnation, it is not from the Lord. And you can say that to them. That is a condemning word and it is not from the Lord. But I want you to ask this. When you experience one of those nudges, in your own mind or heart, that I have something that, I'm, that God may be impressing on me to share with somebody else, let's ask this question. Does it actually concern your responsibility? Because if something is not your responsibility, why would God talk to you about it? Why wouldn't he just go to the person that, because that's the world we live in now, right? Jesus has torn the veil between God and man. We no longer need priests. We no longer need these go-betweens. You don't need a pastor to take you to God. You can go directly to him, and he can come directly to you why would God speak something to you and not to somebody else? Like God is gossiping in that moment, right? God wouldn't do that. Does it concern your responsibility? Now, occasionally God will say, I want you to bring this encouragement to somebody else because he wants to build the body up together and wants you to use a gift. 
And that's what we're talking about. Does it concern your responsibility? Has God given you responsibility to encourage this person? In 1 John 21, Jesus told Peter that he would die a martyr's death. So Jesus and John and Peter are like hanging out. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, sorry to tell you this, Peter, but you're going to die a martyr. You know, he's like, he uses other words. It's a little more cryptic. And then John's sitting there, and John isn't going to die a martyr's death. And, and Peter wasn't really satisfied with this answer, which, you know, if somebody told me I was going to die a martyr's death, and if it was Jesus standing there telling me I was going to die a martyr's death, I'd be like, shoot, I just wet myself. That's not good. I, don't, I wouldn't be excited about this. But Peter, he's got this other thought. He's like, well, Lord, what about John? What, how's he going to die? You know, I'm going to die a martyr's death, you know, eventually crucified upside down in an X. But what about John? How's he going to die? And Jesus looks at him. He's like, we're not talking about John. We're talking about you. What, what is it to you if he remains alive until I return and you die? It doesn't matter. It's not your future to hold on to. Jesus says this. He says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. What is that to you? It's a, a little phrase that I kind of like. Um, I read something about this this last week using this phrase, and they, they called it witty, W-I-T-T-Y, witty. What is that to you? It's a principle. We get ourselves in a lot of trouble when we start comparing ourselves to other people, when we start comparing our journey to other people, comparing our choices and our lot in life to other people. And when we start doing that, God is looking at us and saying, what is it to you whether they drive a nice car? What is it to you whether they have a better, or seems like a better career? I have placed you where I have, and I am sovereign in this, and you are to follow me where you're at. He wants our focus to be on following him and not worrying about other people. Now, when we hear people say, God told me to tell you, and when I hear people tell me, God told me to tell you, my response in my heart and in my gut is always, are you sure about that? Are you sure God really said that? Because we all have this direct line to God. If God was going to speak something to me, he could speak it directly. And God doesn't have to tell somebody else. He can talk to you, but God does sometimes speak to us through others. He does. Of course he does. But there are three guidelines that I want you to think about, and we need to follow when we're, when we're listening to the Lord and when God gives us something to speak to somebody else. So let's just think about these. I mean, first of all, if you hear a word from the Lord for somebody else, first of all, just be patient and pray. Give God a chance to speak to that person too, because he is. And there are times where and I know this has been true of me, where God has been speaking something to me, and I'm sitting there going, la, 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 I don't want to hear it. Whatever you have to say, God, say to somebody else, you know. I don't want to hear it. Was I really off-key? Because I had my fingers in my ears. I couldn't tell. They're like, I don't know. There's no melody. It was terrible anyway. But the point is, sometimes we're resistant. We don't want to hear what God's got to say, and that's why somebody else has to come and speak it to us. But if you receive a word from the Lord, and it's for somebody else, be patient and pray about it and give God a chance to speak that directly to somebody else. Write it down and hold on to it. And if God keeps bugging you about it and bugging you about it and bugging you about it, then you will know it's time to share it. The second one is this, is that God will usually use you to confirm something, not just to bring something new. He'll use you to confirm What's going on in in somebody else's life, what he's already told them. So when you share your words with somebody else, it's not actually going to be a big surprise to them, especially if you've been patient and waited. They're going to be like, yeah, I knew that. 
or yeah, that confirms what the Lord already said. This this past spring, or not spring, I think it's the start of the school year, just a couple weeks uh, before school started. Fall, oh, thank you, that season, that one season. Um, we received a number of like dreams and visions from other people. Like I was praying or I was sleeping and I woke up in the middle of the night and I had this dream about the church and I heard the same thing three different times. So I knew, and God was already saying that to me, that this is the truth of this place, but I didn't want to believe it. And the truth, it was, it was really about our church being a place where people from all over the world come in and then are sent back out. And, and it's really difficult for me as a pastor to be like, wow, everybody's gone. Where, you know, they've all left. And if we were to keep a list, how did I talk about this the other day? Like, if we were to write down everybody who came into this church and were a part of this life and then left, like, in the last seven years, we would have, like, a book full of names. And what these dreams were all about was that God, this what he's designed this place to be, is a river, it's a pond. There was a sense of movement and people coming in and being sent out and coming in and built up and sent out. And these were people not attached to our church that are having these dreams, and they were confirming what the Lord was already saying. The third, uh, the third part of this um, is to ask and to see that God will usually use you without you being conscious of it. So what that means is if God is going to speak through you to others, he'll often do it in a way that you don't even realize that God is speaking through you. Have you ever experienced that? Where you're just like encouraging somebody and you come to them and it's like, I, I just really want to, you to be encouraged in the Lord and know that God is just so pleased with you or he's dancing over you. What, I don't know what, what words maybe they were used. And they're like, in that moment, they just break down and start crying. And you're like, what did I do? And they're like, I just felt so hopeless. And you're like, oh. Suddenly, God was speaking through me. Often, when God speaks a word through you, it's not something that you're consciously aware of. But the person receiving it at the other end recognizes it as a truth. So ask yourself that question. If you get that nudge that you need to do that, what is it? Is it your responsibility? Be patient. Be willing to just confirm what's going on. And then also know that this is how the Holy Spirit works among us, that he brings words through us and we don't even realize it. God is speaking through you all the time. And we just fail to recognize it. Know that God is using you. All right, the second of the last three here is this. If you come to a decision, a fork in the road, a place where you're being nudged one direction or the other, ask yourself, does this decision require faith? Does it require faith? This is probably one of those places I could have been led astray with oysters because it does take a lot of faith to eat an oyster. A lot of faith in my wife to eat that oyster. But most decisions in our life, we look and look at them and we go, I can go this path or I can go this path. This path, I can do this. I'm capable of this. I'm smart enough. I'm good enough. And gosh darn it, people like me and it's going to be a fun path. But if I go down this path and if God doesn't show up, I'm done. If God doesn't show up down this path, it's over. That's the path that God is calling you into because he is calling you into faith. In Acts chapter 3, there's this wonderful story, and it's a story that many of us are really familiar with because it's, because it's so wonderful. And it's this, exactly, this exact kind of moment, this, this crossroad of where they could go down a path of what they could do on their own or down a path of faith. So Jesus or Peter and John are walking. Now, this is the same two guys that, you know, Peter knows he's going to die and John knows he's not going to. And they're walking together down the road after Jesus is gone. And they come to the gate of the city of Jerusalem. And there's a man sitting there begging. Instantly, you've got some choices, right? You've got like three choices. The first choice is you pull some coins out of your pocket and give them to him and say, hey, I'm sorry for your troubles. God bless you or whatever. The second choice, which is one that we're really good at, we pull up to the stoplight. There's a homeless man with a sign. We, we avoid his gaze, right? 
We can avoid the gaze and we can just keep walking. The third choice is a choice that doesn't occur to very many of us ever because it's the crazy choice. It's the faith path choice. And Peter somehow, and John, both of them at the same moment, the Holy Spirit speaks to them and they know that this is the path that God is calling them into. And that is the path where they can go over to the man and look at him and say, get up and walk. You can be healed. Get up and walk in the name of Jesus. It's the first thing out of Peter's mouth. Get up and walk. And it's one of those moments where if God isn't in that, boy, have they just made a mess, right? This guy's faith is on the line. This guy is sitting on the ground, and he can discover the living God who can heal, or he can feel like maybe God doesn't care, and these Christians are quacks. You guys ever had that kind of an experience in your life? You meet somebody, and they're like, they need prayer. Their back is hurt. Their leg is like gone or limp or whatever. And you just feel this prompting in your spirit to pray for healing. And you go through this whole thought process in your head. If I pray for healing out loud with my mouth and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed, rise up and walk, leg grow back, and it doesn't happen, I'm done, right? I'm going to look like a fool God is going to look like a fool. The church is going to look foolish. There is, we, so we just, we avoid this. We avoid it. But sometimes God calls us to do that. God calls us to step into a path, sometimes of healing and sometimes of other things, that, the path that makes absolutely no sense. Go plant a church. Go be a small group leader. Teach Sunday school. Ministry opportunities. Share your faith with the guy at the coffee shop. Well, the guy at the coffee shop is a complete atheist, and he thinks I'm crazy anyway, and now you want me to say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? That's insane. But it takes faith, because God is calling us into it. If God is calling us into it, he will lead us through it. He will give us the power to succeed in that moment in ways that we can't succeed. And sometimes, yes, we do look foolish. And sometimes, yes, we do miss it. And sometimes, even in that foolishness, God is working in us and planting seeds in somebody else. But we have to be willing to take the path of faith and not the path of least resistance, not the easy path where we keep our mouth closed or we shun our eyes or turn and walk the other way. If God is not in this, we're done. These are the moments that God absolutely loves. Because God absolutely loves to show off. God is weird that way. He loves to show off. You can read the whole Bible and see it. God loves to take stupid things like killing people on the cross and turning it into God's glory in the resurrection of one man and the resurrection to life of generations of people. God loves to show off in those moments. But sometimes we just even fail to see that we're at a fork in the road because we're so used to operating in a way of thinking that is how I can do it and how I make it on my own and how I can make my life happen and the choices I make. When God is saying, no, come this way and do this thing that you would never have imagined because God is able to do vastly more than we can ever think or imagine. When we get to this place where I would never have imagined that and God's like, that's exactly where I want you. Step out in faith with me. The Holy Spirit is prompting you. And you know, I know, this is kind of a funny way of saying this, I have had lots of conversations with you, and this is going to be a whoa moment, okay? I've had lots of conversations with people who have come to one of those crossroads, and there is this moment where God is saying, I want you in faith to follow me into this thing. And how I know that somebody has come to that place is they come and talk to me, and they say, Pastor, I see this opportunity in the church. There's this thing 
that I really want to see happen. I think somebody should go do that. Somebody should go do that, right? We're talking about your friend, right? We're talking about, and usually what they mean is, Pastor, you should do that. And what I'm thinking is, God brought you to the crossroad. You're the one that needs to take the step in faith. You should do that. So, be forewarned. The next time you think somebody should do that, perhaps that is the Holy Spirit nudging you and prompting you to step in faith and to do something that it seems like if God doesn't show up in the midst of that, you're baked, you're done, but he wants to show off and he wants to show himself powerful. The last test as we get ready to close. Do I sense God's peace in the midst of this? Now, it's interesting because we can create our own anxiety in a decision-making process, worrying that we're getting it wrong, worried we're doing the wrong thing, and we can just get so focused on the right or wrong thing and we're not listening to the nudges. When we listen to the nudge, if it is from the Holy Spirit, that nudge and going in that direction is going to put you at peace. It's not going to put you into anxiety. Do I sense God's peace if I go in that direction? if I just release all of my cares and concerns and step out into this faith path of my life, do I sense God's peace behind that? If you think you've heard from God and it measures up to all six other tests, if you're like, it matches with the Bible, wise people are saying, yeah, I see that. You've just tested this over and over again and you come to the end and you're still unsure and you're feeling confusion and anxiety. The confusion and anxiety is not from God because God is not the author of confusion. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. He's the author of peace. So you wait and you remain patient until you sense God's peace in it. God is the perfect father. And I, I don't know, I, I, I love being a father, but sometimes I don't feel very good at it. I never, though, want my kids to feel worried or pressured. I don't want my kids to feel pressured to come to church. I don't want my kids to feel pressured to know Jesus. I want them to know him. I want Jesus to be alive in their lives. I want to see him shaped and transformed, but I don't want to pressure them into that. I don't want to cajole them or guilt them into going to church for the rest of their lives. And God is the same way. He doesn't want to do that because it causes us anxiety and fear. He is the perfect father. He is inviting not pressuring. The only time a sense of pressure is legitimate is when you keep saying no to God. Let me say that again. The only time you feel a sense of pressure in your life is when you keep saying no to God. The more you say no, the more your gut tells you, I should be saying yes. And that anxiety and that pressure wells up inside of you and it drives you, hopefully someday, to say yes to God. And someday when you say yes, suddenly all of that pressure, all of that anxiety is just going to disappear. Satan, however, wants to drive us compulsively in the things we do. God doesn't work that way. He doesn't want to drive us to like just compulsively choose, you know, to buy the magazine off the counter or that pack of gum that, you know, Walmart, they're the best at this. You go to the store, you've bought all the things you need, and you come and you're like, I forgot I needed you know, these three magazines, those two packs of gum, and that giant candy bar. I didn't even remember I needed those things. They want you to compulsively buy them, and God isn't doing that. That is not the voice of the Lord. He is a shepherd who wants to lead his sheep. He doesn't drive us. He guides us. And as his sheep, we need to learn to listen to his voice. So this morning, as a closing, I want to say this. 
because um, I was going to like maybe build a whole other sermon off of this idea, but giving Heidi the last word. And I want to give one last word. Discernment is not just a matter of actually hearing God's voice. It is a matter of actually doing what you hear him call you to do. We can talk all day long, how do I know how to make a decision? How do I know if God's prompting me? And there are things, I mean, this is important. You need to know these things. But it's not whether or not you discern God's voice. You can put all seven of these tests out there and be like, yep, that's God. See you later. And I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go do what I want to do. I'm going to actively go the opposite direction. God is calling us to act and not to react, which is really how our world has defined us. We react to situations. We react to, uh, to, to opportunities. We react to relationships rather than to take a deliberate, thoughtful step and choose and to act according to God's ways. Philippians 2.13 is actually one of my all-time favorite verses. It says this to the people in Philippi. Paul says to the people in Philippi, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he says this. This is the part that always has stayed with me. And I memorized it in the NIV, but I'm going to read it in the ESV. It says this, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work. NIV says to will and to act, to want and to choose according to his good pleasure. That the Holy Spirit, when he is leading us and nudging us, his, his goal in that is not just to drive us down some path that's going to bring kingdom good, but it's so that we, from the inside out, would be transformed into his image so that our desires match the desires of God and our actions match them. That we would choose to act in his ways. So is there a decision that you need to act on? Has the Holy Spirit been nudging you? And as we've been talking about these things, you're like, oh man, maybe the Holy Spirit has been nudging me. Maybe I have been hearing from God in this. Maybe God is calling me into a path. Maybe he is calling some of you to choose to have a lifetime commitment to ministry, maybe even to grow up and be a pastor. You know, some of you young people are like in these paths of sciences and everything's like that. Maybe God's calling you into a lifetime of vocational ministry. I don't know. Maybe he's calling some of you to step out and to give something up. Maybe he's calling you to step out and to step into something new, some new ministry, some new opportunity, some new place in life, some new relationship where you're sharing Jesus. What is it that God is calling you to step out in faith on? I want you to encourage, to encourage you this week to not just think about it and to not just test it, but to act on it. That's where the rubber meets the road because as practical of a sermon as seven tests to know whether God is speaking to you is... It's the action that makes it real. It's the action that makes us real. So Jesus, this morning, I want to say thank you for the hearts of these people who are listening to your voice and wondering, God, is this you calling them? Is this your way? Is this your will for their life? I pray now that as they listen to those nudges, that their spirit would confirm in their hearts that it is a word from the Lord and that they would hear your voice speaking to them and then they would walk in it that they would will and act, that they would desire and step out into what you've called them to do in this life and in this moment and in these relationships for the sake of your kingdom and for your glory and for your name.
Jesus' name, amen. So go in the grace of the Lord today to take that challenge and act on what God is calling you to do. Amen. Hang out with each other and talk and play. We're praying the prayer with no reply. Words float off into the night.